with you today. So excited uh, to be with you today. Um, and uh, on Palm Sunday, my name, like you said, is Jesse. I'm a pastor at a church called Northgate Christian Fellowship in Benicia. How many of you guys know where Benicia is? Just out the way a little bit. Yeah, there you go. Um, and I want to start off by just saying thank you to this church. This church, you may not have known it, but 28 years ago, you invested in a church and a man named Ken Jensen. Pastor Ken is my senior pastor. And 28 years ago, you sent out a, a small group of people and Ken, and now it's in the thousands, and people are finding Jesus every Sunday. And the investment that you made as a church has drastically altered my life. And so I want to say, as a pastor at a church that I love, thank you to those of you in the room. I know there are people in this room that remember little Kenny Jensen. He's going to hate that I called him that. And uh, uh, invested in that space and what you have done for the kingdom in the Bay Area is just amazing. So I'm very honored to be here with you today. I'm so thankful to be here with you. Um, this message can be interactive. As you can see, I'm going to talk with you. So if you feel the need to shout out an amen every once in a while, that's okay with me. Um, if you think I'm a heretic, don't throw any food. We'll be okay. Okay? Um, but, you know, I may ask you a question from time to time, and this is an interactive space. It's, uh, you know, I'm, a, I'm actually also a worship leader, so I'm used to people talking while I'm singing. And uh, so you can go ahead and interact with this. Um, who am I, though? Uh, I grew up, um, like uh, Tim said, as a pastor's kid. I was actually born as a missionary's kid. My parents, uh, I was born in Nairobi, Kenya. They were missionaries to the Maasai tribe. Then we moved to a small uh, town on the Oregon coast and pastored a church my dad did, um, actually at a Christian campground. Uh, and we moved later on to a small town in the Willamette Valley, and um, I was then a pastor's kid as well for the next 27 years. My dad pastored there. Um, I went to a Christian college, and I've been in professional ministry for 15 years. And I'm not telling you, this is no bragging. This is to say um, that as we get into this message... Uh, if you've been at the church for a while, not just this church, but the big C church, if you've been a Christian or a believer for a while, um, I'm in the same boat with what I'm saying. So this message really has been transformative to me as I've been preparing for it and praying, and I've been praying for you. Um, I've been praying for Bethel. I've been praying for this day. So um, I just want to let you know, this is, this is all of us together in this piece here. Um, um, have you ever, when you were a kid, was there ever a toy, if you can think back, was there ever a toy that you wanted so bad? You saw in a magazine or you saw on TV or, you, you know, some of the millennials saw on the internet. What did A toy as a kid you wanted so bad, but then when you got it, it just wasn't quite right. Have you ever had that before? You're like, nah, this wasn't what I expected. When I was a little kid, we used to go to this pizza place. And in the pizza place, they had a vending machine and they had video games. And in the vending machine, in one of the spaces, I saw a picture of a gold ring watch. And I was on fire to get the gold ring watch. And so I went in there and I put a quarter in the machine, turned it over, and I was like, I just know that today's the day. I'm going to get a gold ring watch. I'm going to show it off to my friends. They're going to love it. It's going to be awesome. For a quarter, I didn't know you couldn't buy gold for a quarter at the time. But I thought for a second, this is going to be awesome. So I put my quarter in, turn it, and it was like, I don't know, a bracelet or something. It was not cool. So the next time we come back to the pizza place, I'm, I'm equipped with a couple more quarters now. So now I've got two chances at this thing. I was like, this is a no-brainer. It's game over. I'm going to get this thing. Put my quarter in. Not a, not a gold ring watch. Put another quarter in. Not a gold ring watch. I must have spent what equivalent, uh, in my mind of the day, about 100 years trying to get that gold ring watch and about a million dollars. It was crazy. I tried to keep getting it. And one day, one amazing day, I finally got the gold ring watch. Um, 
the gold ring watch. And it was just this little, uh, you know, little ring with like a digital time display on it. Um, and uh, I don't know why I thought it was going to be so awesome, but I was determined. And so when I got it, I got it on and I like, had it up. Like, yes! So I was showing my family and all my friends. And I was so excited that night um, that I didn't take it off my hand. I kept it on my hand. And it didn't feel like gold. It felt a little different. But I didn't care. I was stoked. And then the next morning I woke up and it had turned my finger green. <laughs> it was nothing like I had imagined. And now I had to go to school without a gold, gold ring watch and a green finger. And this was not an exciting time for me. But I, there's these times in our lives when uh, we expect something to be so great. And then we get up to it and it's not quite what it looked like, right? You've ever had that in your life. Um, I'm going to be um, reading out of the NIV this morning. We're going to go to uh, uh, Mark chapter 11. So if you want to get there, in your Bibles in the pews, um, I believe it's around 716 or so, um, page 716. And also, if you don't have a Bible with you, there's one in the pew there in front of you. Or you have, you have a smartphone. Our church, Northgate, has an app on the app. If you search in your store, um, has a Bible inside it. Or you can just type in Bible in your app store and you'll get one on your smartphone. You'll have the Bible with you all the time. But I'm just giving you a heads up. We're going to Mark 11. <coughs> Excuse me. Today's Palm Sunday. And uh, it's the beginning of what we call in the church Holy Week. And if you've never experienced that before, if you're new to the church or new to faith, um, the Holy Week is the week leading up to when Jesus rode into the town of Jerusalem, into Jerusalem, and then ended with his resurrection seven days later. So it was maybe the most important week, not maybe, it was definitely the most important week in history. It literally shifted eternity. It shifted everything when Jesus rode into town on Palm Sunday. And on Palm Sunday, the beginning of Holy Week, uh, they, uh, you may know this story, but uh, they were laying down their jackets and their clothes, and they were laying down the palm branches over the muddy puddles and making the way and saying, Hosanna, the blessed Savior is here. And they were calling about Jesus. And they were so excited for him. And just a few days later, we know the story that he went onto the cross. And so that's why they call it Good Friday. The only reason it can be good is because Sunday there's a resurrection. And this year, I think it's particularly interesting that Easter Sunday's on April Fool's Day. Like, just kidding, I'm not dead. That's odd to me. I don't know, it's a funny joke in my head, so I had to say it out loud. <laughs> so that's the context of this passage. That's happened. He rode into the city, and this is the next day. And I um, was preparing, if you, um, I do this every year, I read through the Holy Week scriptures during Holy Week. Um, so that I kind of prepare myself for what happens on Friday, and I can really settle my heart for Easter Sunday. So I would encourage you to do the same. Just read these in the different Gospels, these accounts of what happened. Um, but we're going to read Mark 11, um, a, a scripture I've actually never taught on, but I felt just God tugging at my heartstrings here. Uh, we're going to go to verse 12 through 14. And so I'm going to read that um, aloud, and you can follow along. It says, The next day as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples even heard him say it. So we'll stop there for a minute. So they're walking from a distance. And culturally at this time, it was completely acceptable. If you saw a fruit tree along the road or a ways off, you could go and pick its fruit as long as it was not corralled or, or, or marked in a way that was somebody owned it. You could go and do that. So they saw in the distance a fig tree, and they went to the fig tree and realized there's no fruit there. And the Bible does say that it wasn't fig season, but there's actually something very interesting about this passage. Um, the, um, 
fig trees are a big deal in the Bible. In the very, very beginning of the Bible, in Genesis, Adam and Eve are in the, are in the Garden of Eden, and they don't know they're naked until they eat from the tree, the forbidden tree, and then they eat that, and all of a sudden they realize they're naked. And what do they make clothing out of? Fig, fig leaves. Obviously didn't cover much, so he, God put animal skins on them. But fig trees started out at the very beginning um, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a piece of the Bible. Um, the presence of a fruitful fig tree was considered to be a symbol of blessing and prosperity for the nation of Israel. Likewise, the absence or death of a fig tree would symbolize judgment or rejection. And we're going to get to that in a minute. But a fig tree does something really interesting. And I didn't know this. And maybe you already knew this about a fig tree, but I didn't know this about a fig tree. A fig tree actually delivers fruit and then leaves. An apple tree, a cherry tree, other trees, they have leaves and then fruit. But a fig tree starts with fruit and then the leaves come in. And by the time the leaves are in, the fruit is ripe enough to pick. So you could sense that they saw a ways off a fig tree with leaves on it. They could sense that there was probably going to be food there. And when they got there, what looked like a healthy fig tree was actually a fig tree with no fruit. And so Jesus, you can see this and you go, man, he's he's like acting like a toddler, upset that he didn't get his food, he was hungry. No, he's making a statement. This is actually a judgment on Israel at the time. Uh, Because... um, (coughs) Um, I want to read to you what happens next. So we're going to keep going in Mark 11. It's actually uh, verses 19 through 25 we're going to read. So in Mark 11, 19 through 25, it says, When the evening came, they went out of the city. In the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. I tell you the truth. If anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, And does not doubt in his heart, but believe that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him, so that the Father in heaven may also forgive your sins. So, they walk back by that same fig tree and they recognize that it's not even just a little dead. It's completely withered from the roots up. And I don't know why the disciples are continually surprised by Jesus being able to do things. They've seen him literally raise people from the dead by speaking it out loud. They have seen him stop the storms just by standing up and saying, be be still. But still in this moment, they're like, oh my goodness, can you believe it? The fig tree is dead. All he had to do was say something. And so you can interpret the story as um, Jesus showing his power to control uh, creation, but he's already done that. He's already done that piece. He's already calmed the storms. He's already brought somebody back from the dead. In fact, one of the reasons why Jesus was so celebrated as he came into Jerusalem was because of the stories of Lazarus. He brought him back from the dead. So this isn't a story about Jesus's power or might or him doing anything. This is a judgment on the nation of Israel. My kids, I have a seven-year-old son, Reese, and a four-year-old, almost five, she will tell you, daughter named Iris. And my wife goes to work earlier than I do in the morning, and so she kind of starts the getting ready process, and I'm lazy and lay in bed. And then when she's leaving, I get up, and we finish the getting ready process wherever the kids have been. And so, you know, brushing your teeth and putting on actual clothes to go to school is healthy, and things like that. We do. We have breakfast. And um, they have, we have a routine Monday through Friday, and they do the routine very easily with me. Uh, We have it down. And on Sunday morning, 
Uh, as I'm at church very early in the morning, my wife is doing that routine by herself with the two kids. And one day, just not that long ago, they were just acting up. They were throwing a fit. They were not, they were being, I'm too tired to put on clothes. Why do I have to put on clothes? Uh, they were not having it. <clears throat> having it. And uh, for those of you who think that kids will do everything you say because you don't have kids yet, uh, they don't do that. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. Um, and so they weren't. They, they're, they're great kids, but this morning they were just not having it. And so my, my wife, she's lovely and amazing. She sits, sits my son down and goes, Reese, what's the deal? What's going on? Why, uh, why can't you uh, just get things ready? You do this for dad all the time. Every day you do this with dad. He says you do it so good. So what's going on? And he goes, Mom, dad brings the thunder. Dad brings the thunder to dad, Mom. And he just walks off. And so I may bring the thunder in our household, but I don't, my words don't bring people back from the dead. My words don't curse a tree and it be gone. Jesus is doing something very symbolic. Because the nation of Israel looked very good on the outside. But on the inside, they were bearing no fruit. There's a group of people called the Pharisees. You've heard of them? Okay. In these stories, they're usually kind of seen as the bad guy in the gospel. And so... Uh, um, I want to tell you just a little bit more about the Pharisees because they developed a system of purity where there's the law of Moses and then they made law, laws around the laws of Moses so that you wouldn't even get close to breaking the actual laws. And they did this and they were so pious they would give a tenth of their income, a tenth of their spices, a tenth of their grain. They would be so strict and particular about it. But the problem was is that looked great on the outside, but on the inside they were full of greed and jealousy and hatred and unforgiveness, sin. So what looks great on the outside, like a fig tree, may not actually be producing any real fruit. You see a sermon in here somewhere? What actually looks great on the outside may not actually bear real fruit. The Pharisees didn't start out that way. They started out as a, as a religious group um, of people that wanted to, that interpreted the Torah in certain ways, and so there was fractions between the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all the different groups. It's kind of like denominations in the church. They had a little bit different. They still believed God was God, but they had a different way to take it. And the Pharisees believed that um, there was a time period of 400 years of silence. Basically, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, there's an idea that God had been silent for 400 years. There were no prophets. There were new scriptures. The nation of Israel was no longer their own nation. They were overtaken by many different cultures, and so they had to sustain and survive there. But they had nobody prophet, uh, no prophets, nothing like that at all. And so it's 400 years of silence before Jesus' ministry starts. And that's kind of a time period where they, uh, the Pharisees started and they believed. Now they believed that the reason God was silent to them was because the nation of Israel was unpure. And so in an attempt to hear from God, they developed a system of purity. And that's an amazing way to start. And so what happens is this pure system gets transformed into something that's just rules to follow. And it becomes non-transformative. And so they start out really well with good intentions, yeah? Getting closer to God, being pure. There's nothing wrong with holiness or purity. Those are things to try and go for and attain and work through. But if it's not transformative to your heart, if you're still a bad person, come on. You're a fig tree with leaves. I'm a fig tree with leaves and no fruit. And that's cursed. That makes Jesus mad. It can be the same just for us. 
I am not perfect in this game. I don't stand before you as a perfect person. I don't expect any of you in this room are perfect people. Any perfect people raise their hand? Somebody wanted to, I know. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I know, I, I've been in the church, like I said, for so long. There are uh, wonderful Christians that God has been transformative in their heart, but I've known some Christians that have been with God a long time, and yet they have things in their life like racism. They've been Christians a long time, and they're some of the most greedy, stingy people I've ever met. They've been in the church, they've known God a long time, and nothing has transformed their heart. They follow the rules. It looks good on the outside, but on the inside, they're dead. I've also met some of the most amazing people in my life in that church. I just got to meet some great people out there today who are just so welcoming to my wife and I, who are, this is our first time at this church, um, and we're so thankful to be here, but there's places, I don't, I don't know if you've ever, anybody ever known a just bad Christian, a hypocrite? Maybe that's you, <laughs> I don't know. It's been me before, right? God has not been doing a transformative work in my heart, and so on the outside, I look like I'm doing great, but on the inside, I am a filthy mess. I have been there. You've been there. We've been around people like that. At Northgate, I get to meet people all the time who are coming to know Jesus, and they literally, some of them uh, have had had alcohol on their breath, and yet they're coming in, and they're making first-time decisions for Jesus, and then you watch, and God does a transformative work in their heart. They become a different person, not just a moral person, a better person, but a totally transformed person. It's amazing. Yeah, it's good. I've been able to see that time and time and time again. I've never been at a space that I've seen God do these works. And it's so cool to watch a transformative God transform somebody's entire life, not just a lifestyle. God, we have a saying at Northgate, God is in the business of transformation. One of our pastors, I love this saying. I wish I would have made it up and thought it up. I would have trademarked it. It's his. And I'm so thankful it's his. And I'm so thankful he says it all the time. He says this. There's nothing so lost that God cannot find it. There's nothing so broken that God cannot mend it. And there's nothing so dead that God cannot resurrect it. God is in the business of transformation. Fruit in the Bible is a big time thing. It's a theme you see over and over and over and over again. Bear good fruit. Bear good fruit. Because it's an easy analogy. Because something that looks so good from the distance, you and I may look so good like we have it together from the distance, and then you get up close to us. And man, it's not just our breath that stinks. We've been there, friends. I've done that. But God's in the business of transformation. I love that the Bible is so filled with fruit. When I moved to California, I was 18 years old. I was from Oregon. And in Oregon, you have cherry trees and apple trees and all sorts of trees. But in California, you have this thing, we have this thing called an orange tree in your own yard. I didn't know that was possible. I didn't know that was a thing. I thought that was just Florida. But in California, you could do that. So when we first bought, my wife and I bought our very first house, but one of the very first things I did was I went out and bought an orange tree. And I dug a little hole. I planted that thing. I watered it for days. And um, I didn't know that you have to take care of it. So it died pretty quickly. And it never bore fruit. Um, and so I thought, you know what? We're lucky enough to buy a house in Benicia now, and, um, and so we did. We just bought a house not that long ago, and, and uh, for, for Mother's Day, we bought my wife an uh, 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 orange tree so we can remind ourselves of how good she is 
um, how sweet she is. And so we put that there, my kids and I. And this time, I dug a bigger hole. I did better ground uh, uh, preparation. I, I've been watering it all, all the time. Um, but I must kill things because it's still not growing. It's, I mean, I looked at it the other day. I was like, it hasn't even grown an inch. I think it might have shrunk. If I could buy a full-size orange tree that just started producing right away, I should do that because I'm horrible at planting things and making them grow. Because there's a lot of work involved, and it's the same thing in our lives. There's a lot of work involved, and what can look good from a distance? My tree has actual green leaves on it this time, but you know what? It's no fruit. I don't get to eat of it. I don't get to be blessed by it. Hopefully, I don't kill it, and then someday I will be able to eat of it. But the Bible's filled with fruit analogies. Um, actually, we're going to go one, one other place in Scripture, and it's actually John 15. If you would go there with me. Again, I think it's around 760 pages uh, into that Bible there. We're going to read John 15, 1 through 8. It says, I am the true vine, and my father is in me, uh, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. This is, my father's, uh, <clears throat> this is uh, to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Bear much fruit. There's a call on our lives, a design for our lives where God says, I don't want you to just look good. I'm not in the business of making moral people. I'm in the business of transforming lives. And the Holy Spirit enters you and begins to do that work. And God begins to whisper in your soul. He begins to whisper in your soul. How does that happen? He goes on just a little bit uh, farther down that. He says, um, I have told you this so that you may uh, be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. How do you remain in him? How do you stay connected to the vine? How do you stay connected to God? You must love one another. If our lives, if our lives have purity and holiness, that's amazing. If our lives have purity and holiness and it's not transforming our families, it's not transforming our friendships, our community, then man, God needs to begin to do a transformative work. Because we can't go through this life. The stakes are too high to be just pure and holy in our own little space. There's too many people who don't know about Jesus. There's too much transformation work that needs to be done. I never want to be the fig tree looking pretty at a distance, but coming up close to me, there's no fruit. And my hope is that you don't ever want to be that as well. There's been times in each of our lives that we have. So how do we, what do we do with all this? How do, how's, what's, what's some ways that we can... Um, actually apply this to our lives. I think there's two ways this week you can do. There's two things you can do this week, even today. They're, don't, they're not going to take you long. But it's the step in beginning to begin uh, allowing yourself to be transformed. One thing is it, Jesus says to love one another. Love one another. How many of you guys know about the five love languages? You guys know about the five love languages? 
the way we typically show love to other people, you know, if you're telling people they're beautiful all the time, typically you want to be told you're beautiful. <laughs> if you're serving people all the time when somebody serves you, it's typical that that would be a blessing to you. And so there's somebody in your life that you can think about this week doing one act of love that's out of the ordinary for you. And it can be simple. I'm not going to make it overly difficult. You don't have to bring in a band in a parade and say their name because they, they're words of affirmation people. Something simple. Like if your wife makes the coffee every morning, you get up and make the coffee. If your kids need a little extra time and they're quality time kids, spend some extra time with them. If you know somebody, a friend, you need somebody might pop into your mind right now a name of somebody you need to give a phone call to and encourage and just see how they're doing. One act of love. If you begin with one act of love, I think you'll see another one's easy and another one's easier and another one on top of that. But you start with one. Just this week, if you want to remain in Jesus, you got to remember that it takes loving one another. And the second thing is maybe a little bit more difficult because there's a little bit of soul searching involved. But if you take 10 minutes today, tomorrow, the next day, you take 10 minutes and you just sit in silence. And I would ask that you just say, God, what's an area of my life you need to transform? Be honest with me, God. I'm going to be honest with myself. What's one area of my life that is not bearing any fruit, that is actually just looks fine, but not any good? What's one area of my life? And if you sit there for 10 minutes and you ask God and you listen in patience, I guarantee you, you're going to know something pretty quick. It doesn't matter if you've known Jesus, known the relationship with God for a hundred years or one day. He's still speaking. So if you listen and you take 10 minutes, it's just an easy little thing to do, but it may begin a really big transformative work in your soul. I'm going to land the plane here and we're going to kind of finish this out. Because if we think that there's nothing in our lives that God needs to transform or resurrect, then the power of Good Friday ends once we accept Jesus. If you look at your life and say, no, I'm pretty good. I've got nothing God needs to transform. Then the power of Jesus going to the cross and his transformative work ends the moment you accept him. And for those of us in this room today, that cannot be acceptable. The stakes, I said, are too high. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Not just you, me. We cannot hinder the power of continual transformation in our lives. And let's not like be, be like the fig tree without any leaves. Let's let bear good fruit because the consequences are too dire if we are not continually transformed on the inside by the love and grace of Jesus. If a relationship with God and a relationship with Jesus doesn't cause us to care for the orphans, the widows, the poor, the outcasts, if it doesn't cause us to change our communities, our families, our own lives, not just be better moral people, but more explosive people for the gospel. If Jesus Christ does not transform any part of your life today, if he doesn't do that work in you, friends, church, it's time to start. And it's okay. It's okay to recognize that you're not okay. Because if we think there's nothing wrong with us, that God cannot transform a piece of our lives. Jesus earlier said, all you have to do is tell the mountain and believe it and it'll happen. Go jump in the water. This is just too much at stake. God said, for 
I loved the world so much I gave my one and only son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That's in John 3.16. We've seen that a lot. Ask him. He will help. I want to remind you what my friend, my pastor Larry says. Nothing so lost that cannot be found. Nothing so broken that cannot be mended. Nothing so dead that God cannot resurrect it. And if you're sitting in this room today and you've never talked to Jesus as Savior, you've never said to him, you may be in this room, you've never said to him, you've heard or you've been around church or maybe this is your first time here, um, and you've never said, Jesus, I want you to come into my life and transform me. I need you to do that. If you've never done that, in a minute we're going to have just a moment of silence to be able to pray and think about these things. And if you've been a Christian a long time, you've been like me in church your whole life it's time for us to reevaluate what needs to be transformed in this holy week what's something that needs to start being transformed in our lives if you would um, we're going to take a moment just to pray uh, the band's going to come up and we're going to sing another song and um, if you wouldn't mind just kind of closing your eyes it helps me to get in my own space uh, when I close my eyes so if you wouldn't mind closing your eyes and uh, Heavenly Father, let us not be like the fig tree that just looks good, but it's not bearing any fruit. Let us not be untransformed. May an experience with you today, may it begin a, a course in our life of change. And so, Father, we ask that if there's areas in our lives that need to be transformed, not just made better, but God radically transformed, that you would begin to do so today. And God, maybe the struggle is something others don't see and they don't know. But you know. And you know our hearts. You know everything about us. And you love us. You still call us your, your, your sons and your daughters, even though you know how foolish we are. God, we need your grace today. We need your love. We need your peace. We need to transform our lives, our families, our communities, our churches. We need your goodness today. We're so thankful that you give it so freely. And so today, if, if, if you're saying, I need, um, I need God's transformation in my life today, there's a piece of you that needs to be transformed. Eyes are closed, heads are bowed. I'm standing here and I want to pray for you. And this may not be something you're accustomed to. It's something we do at our church in our space, but we don't believe that we can just share the gospel and not give some opportunity to respond. And so I would like for you, if you would just be honest with it yourself, if God has something in your life that needs to be transformed, if you would just look up at me, raise your hand a little bit and I can pray for you right now. Yeah, yeah. all around the room. God, you are doing something in this space. I'm going to pray, God, that you would begin doing a transformative work in these people's lives. My friends in this church, you would know, you know them, you know their struggles and their pieces, and God, you know what's going on in their hearts, and so we, I just ask God that you would be doing a supernatural work today there would be power, transforming power in our lives. 
today you've never, ever, you've never taken a moment where you say, Jesus, you are my Lord, you are my Savior, I accept you. But today, you're ready to start a transformative work in your heart and in your life. If you're sitting in this room today, no. He knows who you are. He loves you. He calls you his son, his daughter. He's created you. And if you've never taken the opportunity to start a transformative work, say, Jesus, I need you to be my Savior. Would you do me a favor? I don't know if there's anybody in the room that God's speaking to about this today, but I just feel like we need an opportunity. And the heads are bowed and the eyes are closed. Would you, if, if, if that's you today, then you want for the first time say, God, be my Savior and my Lord. Would you just look up at me and raise your hand? Yeah, I see you. Amen. Yes. So Heavenly Father, I pray that you would begin to do a restorative work in this person's life, that your transforming power would not be something we just sing about or think about, but we would experience fully in this church today. Holy Spirit, you are doing a work here. We thank you, God. We praise you.